Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for having me, Eric. I'm really excited about this conversation. And also, thank you for the opportunity in being here today. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. And before we recorded, you sent over like just a breakdown of your journey or path. And it's like you crossed every box of every notable person or location. But take me back to the very beginning. You mentioned that your dad was on staff at the church that you started in the IFBN. Is it safe to assume you don't remember anything prior to being in the IFB and sitting in pews Sunday morning? Yeah, I was pretty much born and raised in the IFB from the time I was weeks old. Hmm. And so I grew up at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown. North Carolina. And yeah, my dad was on staff at the Span. He was a Spanish pastor at Gospelite. And yeah, from the time I was little, every time we had conferences, revivals, I went to the Christian school from the time I was three until graduated. We were pretty much there every single service, every single meeting. I always like joke that it's like it was my second home, like being at the church. So yeah, yeah I relate to that. I always feel like my time was probably more spent on church property than my own house because <laughs> it was like Monday through Friday at school, Saturday going out knocking doors, Sunday in church, like the amount of time is immense. For you, like growing up in it, there's no other perspective at that point. So like growing up, did you have a positive outlook at the environment around you? Did you love it? Did it feel like, oh, is there something besides this? Or were you just, this is my second home. I love it. And I can't imagine being anywhere else. Yeah, I would say overall, I had a really good experience and mostly all positive memories. Like my parents, they loved us and they took care of us. I had good relationships with my mom and dad. I still have a great relationship with my mom. My dad actually passed away about four and a half years ago. And so he was a Spanish pastor up until he passed away. And so I had, yeah, a really good experience. Some of my closest friends, like we all met through Gospel Light. The highlights of our summers were youth conferences and camps. So overall, I would say it was a great experience looking back, like at that time. But then Now that I have stepped away from that world, I see a lot of harmful teachings that really affected me throughout my adulthood and throughout, even even as a teenager, I see a lot of some teachings that were harmful that I'm looking at now. Yeah. I definitely want to chat about those, but one thing I don't want to gloss over is you had the experience of being a kid who's parent was in ministry, which is a totally, I think, different perspective because you're seeing kind of the behind the scenes of the ministry world, but also like just the amount of people you encountered, like you were around like Jack Treber at conferences, you were around like sort of Lord conferences and all the names associated with that. You mentioned like Ray Young from Hiles, like there's a long list of people. Like what was your 
kind of perspective being a staff kid growing up and seeing all these people come through? What was that experience like? Yeah. So it was, it's actually interesting because Gospelite was, there were a lot of connections at Gospelite, but they didn't really follow in one specific camp. Yeah. For example, we would have Jack Trever come to our revivals. We would have <clears throat> like the sword, but we hosted the sword lore conference. So you had people like Shelton Smith, Tony Hudson, like that camp. We even had Greg Locke would, pre- would preach at our youth conferences, which he's, <laughs> yeah, he's crazy. But anyway, yeah. So like we had and Kenny Baldwin would come speak. So we had a lot of different connections, mm-hmm. but Gospite never really fit into one of those specific like camps. Gospite was a lot more like, it, it was just different seeing, it almost seemed depending on who would come and speak was, okay, make sure you dress up today or make sure the skirt's like really long or make sure you're not wearing sleeveless because Gospite didn't really they were strict as far as it was definitely IFB, but they didn't get as hung up on like basketball shorts and yeah. like girl, like if we wore flip flops, that wasn't a like big deal. And most of, most of the kids in my class like went to movies and girls wore pants. Like yeah. it was like pretty normal. But when like specific churches or people would come, I just remember thinking like, okay, gospel is not too bad because their standards were like so much more like strict than how we grew up. So it was just, it was interesting seeing all the different types, like Kyle Anderson and First Baptist, that was like a whole different level of, yeah. the entire church was so different. Cause like at Gospelite, our pastor, like the main pastor was Brother Bobby and he was very down to earth, very much a people person. He, I don't remember him like ever screaming and shouting and like harping on like what women wore. And I don't, he was not a very authoritative like person. He was just very down to earth, very, it was just like an old fashioned country church. Yeah. So a lot of people respected that, but a lot of the churches that would come and speak at were just very different than how we yeah. like the things at Gospelite. Yeah. What was Greg Locke like in his IFB hated? Cause that's one thing, like I know a couple of people who knew him when he was preaching there in that time. And like, now I look at him now and he's in his own camp of his own yeah. creation at this point. What was he like then? Because I've never seen him fully in that world. I've only seen him like post where he's just gotten crazier and crazier as time's gone on. Honestly, it's funny because looking back, like a lot of his like, because I still would will watch clips of him because like the things he says is so bizarre. And I'm like, yeah. did you really just say that? But a lot of his, like his preaching style is very similar. Like how it was in the IFB. He yeah. just, it was more of like the suit and tie, the KJV only like the more gospel music hymns, like he was more like he was in that world. And I remember, I think it was like my 11th grade or 12th grade year. He walked away from the IFB and went yeah. like a little more like contemporary. And I remember we just like never invited him back to gospel. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. his style of preaching like always remained the same, except now he's just crazier. Yeah. And it's just so funny and embarrassing because I remember like at that time thinking, Oh, he's like my, one of my favorite preachers. And and now I'm just like cringe, just like a little cringy thinking back on that. Yeah. Now but, he's like your second or third favorite. He's gone down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's like, yeah, second or third. <laughs> but no, he just, yeah, a lot of his style was, is still very similar. But yeah. uh, I just remember we were all like so excited because Greg Locke's preaching tonight. But now I'm just like, why? And I think he like signed one of my Bibles. I don't know. Cause that was, everyone was into the yeah. whole signing of Bibles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. I always ask people like, what was your initial experience? And I think for the most part, it's 
positive for people who start in it. And then it's a question of when's the first time you noticed anything that was like a little bit weird or where you felt like maybe we wouldn't call it this at the time, but a red flag, so to speak. And for me, it wasn't, it was literally like 17 or 16 where it's, oh, there's something wrong here. And I was talking to someone yesterday. It was like, I was eight. So where for you, did you have any moments where you were like, this feels off or there's this weirdness that we're switching our style completely when a certain speaker comes? Was there ever a moment where you were like, something's not quite right here. I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, I would say it was more of a gradual, like little instances. I was always one to question everything. I bought into not like, not like my faith in Christianity, but I never bought into the silly, you know, pants and we can't go to the movies. Why not? And one thing I will say is I really admire my dad. Um, he always gave me a voice. Like he always let me speak mm. my opinion. It was never, I'm the, I'm the dad or I'm the husband of the house and you can't say anything. Like he always gave me room to speak, room to ask questions. And even though we never like saw eye to eye on certain things, he did, we had good conversations about different things that they, this hit, like his influence was more from Hiles, which is where he and my mom mm. met. They actually met at Hiles, got married. And then my dad grew up at Gospelite. So then they came back to Gospelite and um, that, and then that was when he did the Spanish ministry. So a mm. lot of his influence came from Hiles Anderson but Gospelite was a little more, like I said, in my class, like, which we had, I think I graduated with 42 kids, which is a decent amount for a Christian school. Yeah. <laughs> I graduated with one other person. So <laughs> that's huge yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had about 40, a little over 40. And um, most of my other friends, like they all wore pants. They all mm. went to movies. They all listened to other music. They all they, like they had like pretty normal lives. And so I think that was the first time I really questioned, like, why are like, why are my parents so strict with all these little things? And I think that was the first time. Those are like little moments throughout. Like, for example, it was all like me and my dad had a conversation a lot about pants because I just mm. never understood why it was such a big deal. And I just remember he would use the verse in Deuteronomy 22.5, I think is like the exact verse because we had so many conversations about it. And it was like a girl sh or like women shouldn't wear anything that pertains to a man. But it was like, but I was buying basketball shorts in the men's clothing. So yeah. it was just like, because we, so they were long enough and full enough. Like we would go to the men's clothing to get basketball shorts. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so I think there are little moments like that. And then when I went to Hiles Anderson, that was where I really like questioned a yeah. lot because it was like a whole different world up there than like it was a gospel light. You mentioned before recording, like, the scop incident happened literally i think a month before you left for college so that's 20 that's 2013 right if i'm um, correct 2012 2012 yeah i remember it being near the end of my no, high school time but i can never remember if it's actually it might be 2000 because i graduated no it was 2012 because i graduated that was the year i graduated may 12 or may 2012 and if i remember maybe my brain is like remembering differently, but it was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2012. And it was, I remember like it happened towards the end of the summer. And this, it was like three weeks before I was supposed to go to Howells Anderson, had everything ready to go, had bought all these things. Cause I had to buy like a whole new ward, ward, wardrobe for, because that fit their aesthetic and rules. Yeah, it was yeah. a totally different. Yeah. And I remember my dad was like super down 
there was one afternoon where he was really sad and I could tell something was really bothering him. And I wouldn't say that he idolized Jack Scott, but he definitely had a lot of influence. There was a lot of influence like at Howells Anderson and between yeah. like, Scott, Jack Kyles. And then I remember him telling me like what happened with Jack Scott. And I just remember thinking like, what am I supposed to do now? Do I still go? Do yeah. I not go? And yeah, like I, I still ended up deciding to go because I didn't really feel like I had another option. Like we had already spent all this money and I was supposed to do the Jericho program, which was a complete disaster. The Jericho program was if you, I'm trying to remember, it was that if you did three years, you got an, a year free or something, or there was some kind of weird deal. Yeah. So it, so the Jericho program was, so I think that one is Pensacola. If you do years, you get the last year. I think they all have some weird deal like that because they know you're going to stay for four, but yeah, it's very similar. I believe if I remember correctly, it was, you paid like one deposit at the beginning of the year or beginning of the semester. And then I think you paid for your books, but then your first two years, you basically got for free, free, but you were working on the campus. Gotcha. So that my, my first two years, I had to work like 20 hours. I think it was like 20 hours a week. And that was going towards my tu- tuition. But it was like paid for, essentially. Gotcha. Um, but if you did not graduate, you had to pay all this money back. So that was where they got you. Because if I, and people, a lot of people left that year because the original contract was signed by Jack Scott. And so when that and he's not happened, fulfilling it now, yeah. So they had to revamp the contract and they made, that was like, I remember like the first week of college, if not the first day, we all had to like re-sign the contract again. Mm. And yeah, basically. And then the last, I think the last two years you had to pay like in full each month. So the junior program was like the first two years you just worked on campus and then, yeah. So. Yeah. What was the, I understand not feeling like you have a choice because like you're already locked in for this, but I'm curious what you're, it just, I have to imagine it's confusing because you're seeing like a leader who's like obviously revered by people in your immediate circle, including like family. There's this situation that happens and then, oh, I'm starting college, which is a big shift anyway. Like what were you feeling like showing up on campus going, I don't even know how to process this. And now I have to like start this whole new chapter of life. Yeah, it was definitely a weird feeling because I honestly like never really wanted to go to Howell Sanderson. That was not my top choice in college, but, and my parents never forced me to go. They never yeah. said you have to go, but I felt like I didn't have another option because when I would bring up other colleges, it was shot down as like, well, we can't really afford you to send you there. If you go there, you have to pay for it. And I, was like, I have no money. <laughs> and then the whole thing was the Jericho program. Cause that was like, I think that was like a newer program that they were doing. And so that was like my way of being able to afford to go to college. Whereas now I look back and think there's, I did have options. I just didn't know I had those options. And then when I got on campus, it was really strange because it, at least from my perspective, it was like, it was almost as if he had never like existed there. If he was referenced at all, like any kind of pictures that were up from him were taken down We never read any of his books in the school. People never talked about it. Like it just, no one talked about it unless they were like, if you were like in an inner circle, like I remember some people were like, 
oh, he was on a lot of medication. He was in his right mind. And they were excusing. And they had mentioned things about the girl or whatever. And I just remember thinking like, but he was the pastor. Like he was the leadership. Like it doesn't matter if he was on medication or whatever. It, he chose, like he did that. Like he abused that girl. And I just remember people, I don't know. It was just a weird atmosphere. It was almost like, he just didn't exist. No. It was strange. No. Did you end up doing your full time there? I did, actually. I don't know how I honestly graduated and didn't get kicked out. Not because of anything like crazy, but just they were like, they looked for things. Yeah. They, it was like they wanted you to be in trouble. And so I actually, I ended up graduating, but I did it in three years because I was so ready to get out. And so my last year I did like all my classes in person. And then I just crammed all these online classes throughout mm-hmm. the summer, throughout my last year and graduated in 2015. Okay. So, and there was, I was also at that time, I was engaged to a guy who he went to house at one point, but he was not there at the time. So we were dating a long distance. And so I was just ready to get out, wanted to get married, like all that stuff. But it just, I don't know, like how's Anderson, it like, it was just like night and day compared to Gosway and Hal Anderson. It just, it was a whole different world. I honestly like thanked my parents when I came home. I was like, wow, y'all were like not actually that strict. Yeah. Um, and I remember having like more freedom as a high schooler at Gosway than I did as a college student because they just monitored like everything you did all the time. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it was definitely somehow I made it through. I don't know. I really like looking back now, I have no idea how I like went there and survived. (laughs) Congratulations. You made it. So did you have a plan as far as what you wanted to do post college? And you mentioned like when to get married and did you have career plans aside from getting married? (laughs) Was that the career plan? Because I know the reason I ask is I know at Hiles, like that's the classes is like how to be a wife. (laughs) What was the path you had envisioned while going to college? Well, that, that is the joke because it was like, you stay there until you get your MRS degree. That was the joke. And I remember thinking like, it was really difficult because I went in thinking, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go. Even though I didn't really want to go there, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And then I ended up meeting a guy through his sister. We like connected and then I'm like, okay, I'm getting married now and I'm graduating. Like I checked all these boxes of what I'm supposed to do. And then like three weeks before or three weeks after we got, I graduated, we ended up like breaking up, engagement was called off. And it like, I was like, what am I supposed to do now? Because I changed my mind like so many times going, we only had a few options. It was basically a teacher, a secretary, and music it were like pretty much the options and you know at first I thought I wanted to be a teacher and realized that's not like the path for me but I just remember there were there was so much of an emphasis on like how like our classes were how to cook and like how like a sewing class and it was just it was preparation and being a wife and a mother which is not a bad thing but I just there weren't many options yeah Yeah, none of them are bad if it's an option. If it's the only option, it's it becomes a little tricky. You mentioned like going returning home, going back to Gospelite, which is like a breath of fresh air. And it's always funny because I always describe to people like I had the best 
of a bad situation where it's like in this very weird, strict culty ish environment in a lot of ways. And then, you know, but my parents had very open dialogue, had a good relationship. There were a lot of things that are positive that I still look at as positive. And it begs the question from people who are in it, like if things weren't that bad, why is there more to this story? Like why keep questioning? Why keep pushing back on some of these things? Like if it's not hurting you necessarily, why keep questioning? What kept prompting questions from you returning back from college, like sitting in the pews, like hanging out with people from the church, like what kept sparking these kind of questions and conversations? Yeah. So yeah, when I left, I graduated and we, I ended up breaking, we broke up that I was engaged to, which was really devastating because I, my plan was, like, he lived in California. So the plan was to move to California, find a job, like whatever. And I was looking forward to that. And then it was all just gone. I had to move back home and with my parents, I have a degree that I literally can't do anything with. I have no job. I'm not dating anyone. And so I just went back to Gosselite, found a job like in the area. I think I babysat for a while and cleaned some houses. And it just, it, I honestly, that was probably the lowest point in my life. I did everything I was supposed to do. It completely backfired on me. And I started questioning my self-worth. I started questioning my faith. I started questioning like just everything that I had been taught as far as what is my purpose here? Like I, like when we broke up, it was like, now what am I supposed to do? And going back to gospel light, it was just like, for a long time, I was just there, like going through the motions. There was not any heart in it. I became very apathetic towards like anything, like never cried, never had emotions. Nothing bothered me. I made some very poor decisions. Um, and I think I just, I think because a combination of so much that I saw at Hiles Anderson with, there was just so much fakeness and hypocrisy. No. I get that people are human and they mess up and they make mistakes, but like, it's one thing to make a genuine mistake and to get up and say one thing and you're living a completely double life. Right. And I just saw so much of that. And it just began to make me question everything. And then there was a situation back when I like came back to gospel, because I came back in 2015 and then about a year later, and I went back and forth on like, do I want to disclose this? Do I want to not say anything? But I really feel like I should because it's a part of my story. And also I feel like if it's going to help someone else, then it's worth like speaking up about. So there was a guy that went to gospel with all of us and he was like, we all saw each other all the time. And at one point we were like all good friends, but like we started noticing that he was pretty fake. Like he would say one thing, do something completely different. It was mm. very manipulative. And we just didn't really know if we could trust this guy. And he was about the same age as us. And I remember we like the friendship, it was like back and forth. Sometimes we saw each other at church and we would be friendly and nice. And then other times he would do something. I'm like, I'm never speaking to you again. And that kind of went on for a little bit. Then all of a sudden he decided that he was going to go to Crown to be a youth pastor. And he was going to turn over this new leaf and be a great person. And we were all trying to like give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, maybe he has changed. Maybe he's a good person now. And there was one summer in specific that 
he and he there have been times pri- prior to the situation where he had tried to do things and it made me feel very uncomfortable and I'd ask him to please stop. And so I, that's why a lot of the time I avoided him when I could. And so whenever he started, you know, talking about being a youth pastor and going to Crown and we all started like hanging out again and he like asked me, asked to hang out one day. And at first I didn't really want to hang out with him because I just didn't know what his intentions were. And so I told him like, okay, like, sure. Like I eventually said yes, but I don't try anything. I don't want to do anything physical. And long story short, I don't need to get into all the details, but he basically disregarded everything that I said and just took advantage of me. And I walked away from that situation feeling just like disgusting and like a piece of meat. I felt my voice didn't matter because I told him like, I did not want to do that. And I just felt, and I blame myself. I never like in that moment, I never blamed him or anything. It was just like, I shouldn't have went. I should have done that. I should have done more. And so I just like kept it to myself for a good while and didn't really say anything. But throughout this entire time, I'm like questioning my faith because everything I was told was because like your parents tell you and because the pastor tells you and because the college tells you. But I was at the point where I was like, I need to figure out what I believe for for me. And so I went through like a year of just trying to figure all that out. And it wasn't until probably about a year later when I remember very vividly, I was watching a TV show and there was a very similar situation that happened on the show where the girl was, she was raped. And I, it like felt like it felt so personal. And I remember sitting there like, why is this affecting? And it was the first time I was like really triggered and I didn't know why, like why I was having all these weird feelings of yeah. it felt very like similar and familiar. And I remember thinking like that happened to me. Like it, it like clicked for the first time in my head mm-hmm. that like that situation had happened to me. And, but I still blame myself, even though like right. I finally clicked, oh, that happened, but it was still like, it's my fault. And I still should have never went. I still, I still kept blaming myself and I still kept it in for a long time, didn't tell anybody. And then about probably a year later, I remember I was getting my hair done and my hairdresser, it, I've known him since I was in camp. Like we've known, I've known him forever. Oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. My system just went away. No, I can see you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something, my computer is really weird. So I remember sitting there and he's always been like very honest, very open with me. And mm. I remember like just telling him about the, like the whole situation went into detail and he, I just, I remember saying, oh my gosh, like I've never said that out loud before. It's like the first time I've ever told anyone. And I remember still saying, but it was my fault. I should have said no, I should have went. I did say no, but I didn't say no to hanging out with him. And I remember him telling me that like, no, like you voiced that you did not want that. It is not your fault. What happened to you? And I remember that was like the first time in my life that I felt validated. Felt like, like I just felt like it all just clicked. It was like, I just like had carried so much guilt and shame from the situation that I had blamed myself. But like, I did tell him, no, I did say, I do not want to do this. And he like completely disregarded everything that I said. And that was the first time that like, I just felt seen and yeah. And then I believe then that, and then I opened up to some other people, like really close friends and sing enough, like there were other similar situations that had happened with other people because yeah. I know like I've 
wasn't the only one that this happened to. And it just made me like question, like, I like if this is the kind of world that these people continue to get by with do because he like to this day he's out living his life doing his own thing mm -hmm. people and I actually just told my mom recently hadn't I didn't really tell her because I didn't want to hurt her I knew it would it would have devastated her and I just remember people asking like why didn't you say something when it happened and I just blame myself like I didn't see it and I just it wasn't something that I didn't realize what had happened until years later and then when you hear all these stories, people that like I was, I went to college with Rachel and hearing her story, it just, it, I just didn't want anything to do with that kind of world anymore. Yeah. And I think that was like my breaking point was I just like, and even though like to my knowledge, nothing like that ever happened at gospel light, there were still too many connections for me to stay. Yeah. And I'm sure you're familiar with the Cedric McCormick story. That was another thing. I, just seeing people get up there in church and claim that they're like this person and they're support me and give me money and whatever. And it's, you're a terrible person. And I just don't understand how you can sit there and support a church that like doesn't stand for abuse. Yeah. So I think that was like my final. And then. Yeah, just like all the stories. I just, there are just too many connections. I'm like, you have to sit there and think, okay, why is this happening? There's obviously a common denominator here. Yeah. And I don't know if I actually mentioned this whenever I reached out to you, but another really crazy connection is, so I don't remember a few years, I think it was like two years ago, there was a Spanish pastor in Greensboro, Albert Lope, that was arrested. So my dad was actually roommates with him at House oh, Anderson. Wow. Yeah. And so that's actually how my dad learned Spanish. So Albert didn't know a lot of English. My dad didn't know a lot of Spanish and he was really curious and learning. They were roommates. They both taught each other the different languages. And when my dad moved back here to Winston, he started a church in Greensboro. So I remember like seeing that story yeah. and I, I don't know, it's just, there's just so many, it just like, not like when I read like the headlines, saw like what had happened and just like my heart just also it's saying, but I was also like just pissed off that these things just keep happening. Yeah. And to me, like the common denominator is Hollis Anderson and first Baptist. And it's like, why are there so many people yeah. that come out of that church? Like you have to start questioning, like there's a common denominator here and there's obviously yeah. found a fundamental reason why this keeps happening. Yeah. And it just, I just wanted to walk away from all of that. Yeah, that definitely. Way. Yeah, it's that's one of the big things because I think one of the responses always is like, what about the good churches? Or I think that there's valid perspective there in the sense of, I think, especially with what I do. And I think for people who maybe listen to what I do, like it's easy to become cynical <laughs> and it's easy to go, oh, it's everybody and every under every rug, there is something hidden. And at the end of the day, there are good people. There's good churches. There's people that would never stand for any of this. But like you said, at a certain point, it's like, how many connections do there need to be before we start going, there's something wrong here. The orbit of Hiles Anderson is so polluted. And you get around just the names that you mentioned being around, like everybody from Treber to Cedric McCormick and Greg Locke and totally different weird areas. There's weird scandals and connections to all of those. And it's like, 
okay, we might be the good ministry, but it's like, why are we around all these other super negative and horrific ministries and people? And it's hard to reconcile that. That's still, it's still hard for me. I have people, I still am like, oh, they're one of the good ones, but I'm like, but their orbit is so weird. (laughs) The people that are around is so bizarre. For you, there's questioning like the ministry. You mentioned questioning your faith a little bit. Like, what does that mean for you now? Like, where has that, is it now, oh, I just, I don't associate with that denomination, but I still maintain my faith. Is it something where it's, that's a conversation? Is it something where it's like a totally, did you convert to a different religion? Like, where are you at now on that, that kind of journey? I'm curious. Yeah. My faith was something that definitely was questioned and even at certain times in my life was wavered, but throughout most of my life, there was, I was able to distinguish, okay, that had nothing like God was not, did not approve of that. God didn't, would did not, would not stand for that. And so there was a, there were certain times where I was able to determine like, that's just not a great church. And those are not great men or people. And, but God did not approve of that. And God would not have been for that. So even though there were times where my faith was definitely questioned, especially when my dad got sick with lung cancer, like I questioned a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I think one thing that really helped me was like rereading the Bible from like in chronological order from the very beginning and like just walking through the actual context of like how the Bible was written, the culture that it was written in, going back to the Greek and Hebrew. I think by me, like, and I wouldn't say like deconstructing, but just re-questioning everything that had been taught. That was really helpful because I was able to disassociate like the negative things and the bad things from not being of God, but of just being from like really just bad people. And I think there are churches that um, definitely are like the found from the foundation of that church. It's not a, it's just not a good environment. It's not, there's not good people. And then I've met some like good churches that I think that they would absolutely stand for abuse. And that was the one thing, like looking back, because I wish I was able to have a lot of these conversations with my dad now, because yeah. when your podcast came out, he had already passed away. And I just remember as a kid, he would always tell us that I am a mandated reporter. If anything ever came up, like I would, I would report that if there was any suspicion of a child or someone being harmed, like he was a huge advocate for that, which is like, how did you, how are you so good? Even though. But it was encouraging because I feel like if something like that were to happen in the Spanish ministry, then my dad would have stood up and not had, he would not have just shoved it under the rug or kept quiet about it. Like he would have taken it to the authority and not the pastor, like the, like police, like the law enforcement. And so like that to me, like there were just like little signs throughout my life where I still held on to my faith. And I still do. I, I don't trust people very easily. It takes me a long time to build that trust. And even then, like, even though now we we have found a good church that is, it, I feel like it truly is, there's really no connections. So it's just like the church, which is really encouraging. And I asked a ton of questions before we joined. Like We visited for a whole year before we decided to join. They, are, they protect the children. Like I had to go through a background check. Even if you're just help like volunteering in VBS, like you still have to do go through a background check, do a sexual abuse training. There's cameras in every room. No, no kid can be alone at all with an adult. Like they are proactively taking steps 
to ensure the safety of children. And I do feel like if something were to happen, they would handle it in the correct way. So that seeing those little things has been encouraging in that maybe not all churches are bad and not all people are bad and pastors are bad. And then just experiencing like my experience with my faith in general, just like there are things that throughout my life I saw like God's hand in and with my dad's passing and just like how, like, I'm just so thankful that the life that I thought I wanted, like getting married back in college, like I'm so glad that didn't work out. And just like where I was, like where I am now, I just, yeah, it's just, it's, I sometimes think, wonder if I'm even like the same person because I feel like I'm just very, I don't know, like people, like boundaries were something that we're just never really talked about. And that's something that I'm trying to implement now. It's okay to say no if you don't want to do something. And right. it's okay to, like, I just, there's a lot of like, just relearning. But I will say, like, throughout my entire life, my faith has been something that as a whole, I've been able to, I've kept my faith in a sense. But there were definitely times where that was questioned. And I re- kind of, I had to relearn a lot of the things that were taught. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I was curious to to know because I've talked to people from all varieties of answer on that and where they find themselves now. And I, I guess my one thing that I keep thinking about and I'm curious about, because you mentioned there's a lot of thing, ways that your life could have ended up. You just mentioned if you'd gotten married in college to whoever it was in college and with the mindset you had in college, like life would have looked very different and potentially sounds like definitely wouldn't have been the life that you have now that you like and are excited about and are talking about. Um, if you could go back and you could change, I don't think I've ever asked anybody this question. If you could go back and change and be like, okay, I never was part of this. I totally just got fresh slate and I get to start outside of this world. Would you do that? Or do you appreciate the perspective you've gotten from being in it. I don't think I've ever asked anybody. So that's, I think that's the first time I've ever, ever asked that question. Yeah, that's a great question. And something that I like wonder every day, mm-hmm. because obviously I feel like if I were to say, oh, I wish I would have never went to Hollis Anderson College. I don't know if I would be sitting here married to a great man who loves and supports me. Mm-hmm. And, but I also like, it's just, a, it is a part of my story. Like every mm-hmm. little bit of it. But at the same time, there are moments where I really do look back and say, if I could do it all again, I don't think I would have went to Hollis Anderson at all. I think I would. It just, that entire experience was very, I don't, there, I mean, sure, there's some good memories and I met some great people that I still keep in contact with, but as a whole, it really just was not a great experience. And, um, like, I, but it's hard to say it's, there are times where I do wonder like what I would have done if I could go back. And part of me feels like I wouldn't have never went there, but then I'm like, but would that mean that I don't have the life I have now? Yeah. 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 It's, I've never even thought about it for myself until now. I don't even know what, how I would answer the question. Cause it, it is, it's hard knowing like, there's a lot of like, for lack of a better word, like wisdom, I feel like that's come out of that background. And you mentioned like you're a little bit slower to trust, which I think is not a bad quality. There's a lot of pieces that are like positive traits I see in myself now and in yourself now where it's like, I wouldn't have those had I not been through (laughs) some weird situations. Obviously some it's like, can we get the lesson without the lesson kind of thing? 
Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing and I appreciate like you walking through this and talking about this. And honestly, like one of the things that's just nice is like people who still identify as Christian or still have faith, like when they're willing to share and and be supportive of the stuff that I'm doing is really encouraging because it's that's something like even now it's like there's a lot of people who claim faith who are like really upset <laughs> at what I'm doing and I'm just always encouraged like as a side note I'm always encouraged like when people understand or see like I'm not trying to attack and destroy like every Christian or church or ministry that's not the goal I just want to make sure I said that like I appreciate that support and it's super encouraging to me yeah. And I've never like thought of you as someone who is like deliberately trying to destroy like Christianity or like Christians in general. I'm, it's honestly confusing. I'm like, why do we not talk about it? Like, yeah. why are people so upset that you're speaking out against something that is needs to be changed? Because yeah. you don't, if we don't talk about it, then it just continues to happen. What do you think? think that reasoning is because because it's even people like I, I sometimes I'll talk to people who are like just very casual like evangelicals about what I do who don't have any context for it and like sometimes even with them there's this like oh like I never know what the response can be when someone asks like what's your podcast about and I'm like okay let me tell this uber driver you know what this is why do you think there is a hesitancy at large to talk about these things is it just because it's a difficult conversation do you think it's do you think it's like legitimate fear oh this makes us look bad so let's not talk like why do you think at large there seems to be like a reticence of talking about these things even if the people who are reticent to talk about it aren't complicit in it I think it's a combination of things. I'll definitely think that it has a lot to do with the image, um, which is like a lot of what was ingrained in me. It was like a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And it's okay if you do that, just don't post about it or this double mindset. And that, yes, that was really terrible, but we don't want to tell anybody because then other people, it'll like, I think as people always say, it'll hurt the cause of Christ or the name of Christ. And I'm like, no, actually by you handling the situation as the Bible says to, that actually is being more biblical than not. Helps the reputation a little bit. Right. So I think it's a combination of people just not wanting to air the dirty laundry and not hurting the cause of Christ. I think that's why, but I think that it's really important because otherwise that's why there are so many stories and why it keeps happening because it's not talked about in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. We've covered a lot of ground. I'm going to ask you a question I haven't asked in a while on the show, but I'm curious to know your perspective as someone who's distanced themselves from the IFB. Do you think that there is hope for change within the independent fundamental Baptist movement, or do you think it's a movement that is now from the ground up? messed up and needs some other version of it to exist. Yeah, I, cause I know you've asked that. I've listened to every podcast. I used to ask it every episode and then just, I just stopped yeah. and then, but I'm curious to know your perspective. Yeah. I honestly think it depends on the church. I think that hmm. if that specific church has a really bad foundation where the pastor is very authoritative in that they get up and like, I'm the man of the God and what I do. I think any church that has that mindset needs to just, I don't think there's any hope for those kind of churches because there is no accountability. There is no room to grow and learn. It's just, it, 
you have someone that is in power who is manipulative, narcissistic, authoritative. And I just don't think those kinds of churches, even if it's not an IFB church, but I think there, there's not a lot of hope for that kind of church. Um, I think that there are churches where there's a lot of change that needs to happen. But I think that because of maybe like the pastor, like maybe his personality or like he really does stand against abuse. For example, like I have seen, even though I no longer go to gospel, I have seen some positive changes now, like in order to help out the church, like you have to go through a background check and they've been securing a lot of the, like the doors at the campuses to make sure like people aren't just taking, you have to like a sticker that matches the child, making sure that not just anyone can come pick up a kid and then installing cameras. So I think there have been some positive changes um, that I've seen in churches. So I think it really just depends on the church and who the pastor is really. Yeah. Thank you so much for answering that. Before I let you go, is there anything that we didn't talk about or that you didn't get to say that you want to make sure you say before we wrap up? Oh, gosh. No, like no pressure. It could be the most but, insightful, powerful thing of all time. But um, uh, I think the biggest thing is, like, just from my experience, like if there is anyone out there who has a similar story where... I know a lot of the stories you cover is abuse within like the authorities, like the pastors, youth pastors, and a lot of these are children and teens, which is absolutely like, I can't even, that's, it's just horrific. I can't imagine doing that to a child. Like it just doesn't even make sense in my head. And while that's not specifically my story, I think there's a lot of times where, because we're taught from such a young age to dress a certain way and like everything that we put on is basically for, so we don't like make a guy stumble. That was yeah. pretty much what was like, I feel like a lot of the teaching was, there was so much emphasis on what women wore. And it made me look at men as every man was looking at me for my body. Or it, and it also had gave me a distorted view on women that if a woman wore something that I was like a little more revealing, it was like, oh, she's not a good person. So I had a very distorted view. No. Um, based on like that teaching and and also just doesn't help your self-esteem and your value as a woman and so I would just say that any if there is anyone that has experienced like those feelings of guilt because of a bad situation that they've been in like it isn't your fault if you specifically say you do not want this and that there is not that consensual conversation then that is not your fault and don't blame yourself and for me like therapy was really helpful. Your podcast was very helpful. Those were two very influential things during that time. Like I just, I never felt, I didn't feel alone. And that's why I decided to go on here and share my story because I think it is easy to feel isolated and alone in your experience. Um, But you're not alone. And there are a lot of people that that relate to this upbringing. Whereas for a long, long time, I felt very alone. Yeah. yeah, it's. I just interviewed Jon Snow yesterday. His episode will drop some, sometime around this. But that's one of the things we talked about. And he talked about you're not alone. And we're talking about the, we're talking in regards to child sexual abuse and talking about the stat of one in four girls. I think it's one in six boys. And one of the things that I said was like, it's probably not one in six 
it's probably more because a lot of guys don't report. And then he said, it's probably more than one in four <laughs> for both. And he said, but it's, it's years and years before reporting. There's tons of people with stigma around it that don't want to talk about it. Cause like culturally there's stigma, religious, religiously speaking, there's huge stigma. And I think that's, what's valuable. Like at the very core and essence of the show and of people sharing their stories, it's, it's a big beacon going, you're not alone. This is my story. If you relate to it in some way, like there's somewhat, there's at least one other person that relates to it. And I appreciate you sharing it and coming on. I know it's been a long time coming and a lot of time thinking about it. So I appreciate making the decision to do it because I know it's not an easy one. I appreciate you for having me. I wasn't sure what that process was as far as like sharing my story, but I do appreciate you taking the time and listening. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc.